right, well, good morning. How is everybody? Great to, great to see all of you here. Great to have all of you online. Well, today we are continuing our New Year's series, and it's called Rhythms. And we're looking at these, these rhythms of following Jesus. That's what we're looking at and how that fits into uh, our family here at, at Kingdom Baptist Church. And we began this last week. This actually starts off a series of series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in two places today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So go ahead and open that up and then mark it. I don't know how you do this on your app. I don't know how you'd be in two different scriptures on your app, but good luck with that. But then also going to be in Acts chapter 18. So last week we began this series looking at um, Acts chapter 18, uh, just gets a backdrop of why the book of 1 Corinthians was written to begin with. Well, the book of 1 Corinthians was written by this guy named Paul. Paul was a missionary. In fact, he's one of the first missionaries. He was commissioned by this church in the city called Antioch, and then he was sent out on several missionary journeys, and the first one he traveled, this guy named Barnabas, and you know, they kind of went around in parts of the Middle East and you know, parts of Asia Minor, a little bit in Europe, and just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing people get saved, and he organized them into these new community of believers called churches, and, and then the second trip, he's going to go a little farther around. And so that's where we're at in this series because in his second trip, he lands in a city called Corinth. And we'll talk about this more in just a little bit. But as he got there, he immediately began to talk about the gospel. And so this people started believing in the gospel. This community that's called the church was born there in Corinth. And last week we met this couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul shares the gospel with them. They're saved. Paul worked with them. And so last week, as we we went through this, we looked at the first kind of core value of Canaan that we get out of the scriptures. We see the early church doing that's relational evangelism. Paul emulated this for us as he met Priscilla and Aquila through work. They made tents. That's what their trade was. And so Paul worked with them, made tents, shared the gospel with them. They become believers. And Priscilla and Aquila become just huge advocates of Jesus, huge advocates of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so then last we looked at rhythm number one as part of our core values. Rhythm number one is go. We have to have an attitude of going. And so we kind of finished up last week looking at what what all happened with Priscilla and Aquila. This this couple, this married couple, they just happened to meet Paul. Of course, there's no coincidence. God had planned all this. But Paul met them, shared the gospel. They started helping Paul start the church in Corinth. Well, later when Paul leaves, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. And they travel to Ephesus. So there they are at Ephesus. They do this whole thing over again. They share the gospel. People hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality that Jesus really conquered our great enemy of death. I mean, that's pretty awesome news, amen? I mean, how many of us have actually thought about, just be honest, how many of you really thought about, well, I am definitely going to die someday. I should probably think about what happens after that, right? And then you get this kind of ominous thought process. Man, that's, that's kind of depressing. I am going to die someday. What's going to happen after that? And you realize that the humanity's death rate is what? 100%. It's going to happen for all of us. So what then? Well, this is what Paul was saying. This is the message of the gospel. Paul was saying, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And he's not just a guy. He's actually God in the flesh. And he loves us. 
And he knows that all of us have this dilemma, that because of our sinfulness, because of our disobedience to God, our selfishness, our waywardness, that we're going to die. And we can't do anything about it. God said, I love you so much that I'm sending the, my only son, Jesus, into the world, right? He's going to take your sinfulness, take your punishment, take the justice that you deserve, that I deserve, for us so that we can be forgiven, cleansed, and redeemed. And then this Jesus, when he did that on the cross for you and for me, he died. God in the flesh died. And then you're kind of like, what makes him different from us? You ain't got to the best part yet. Because on the third day, what happened, church? He rose, right? He conquered death. So technically, the death rate of humanity is not 100%. It's 99.9999999% right? Because there is one who defeated our great enemy. But he, didn't, he just didn't defeat it for himself. Because he defeated it, he grants all of us that victory in Christ. So that through our faith in him, we have everlasting life. Isn't that great news? Well, that's the good news that Paul was talking about. So Priscilla and Aquila, they got so fired up about this news that they got this rhythm into their life. It became part of their DNA. Hey, we've got to go. We've got to be going. As we go, we talk about this amazing, incredible, awesome news of Jesus Christ. Because he has done the one thing that no one else could do in all of history. He beat our great enemy. And he secured that victory for us. Well, that's great news. So now they go to Ephesus. They start talking about this great news. And people say, I I want that. I'm all in. Hey, you mean to tell me somebody beat death? Who are they? Well, let me introduce you to Jesus. They meet Jesus. Jesus changes their life. Just like he's changed so many of our lives. Just raise your hand. If Jesus has truly changed your life, just raise your hand. Look at that. Just keep them up. Praise God. That's That's miraculous. Right? If someone beside you raise your hand, just now turn to them and say, you are a miracle. Now respond to them. You got that right. <laughs> Miracles. Because God has intervened in our lives to save us, to change us. And so as that was happening in Ephesus, this new community of believers was formed as a church. Well, then we see Paul leaves. But he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And then years later... Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, which Paul hadn't even been to Rome to start a church. But you know who did? Priscilla and Aquila. They go to Rome, and they start a church there. There's at least three churches in the New Testament that Priscilla and Aquila had a hand in starting because of this rhythm of go. Well, that brings us to today. Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. We're going to kind of read the rest of the story of how this church in Corinth began and then we're going to spend a little time in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. So um, we're going to start here by just reading in Acts 18. So if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. So we kind of read verses 1 through 3 last week of Acts 18. Paul gets there to Corinth, meets Priscilla and Aquila, um, begins to reason in the synagogue. And so here we pick up with verse 5. 
It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. We're going to finish up this part. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul, brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. That's the Jewish law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio who wasn't Jewish, he was just a a Roman governor, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And so he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. All right, let's pray. We've got a lot to cover. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. God, as we just delve into this text, the history of your people, the history of your church here in Corinth, God, I just pray in your grace you would give us uh, understanding, and even more important that than that, Lord, is even taking that understanding and applying it to our life here today in 2023. So God, may you be honored, may you meet with us. We praise you that you are here, you are with us here in spirit. So God, minister to us through your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, go ahead and be seated. So just a a quick geographical recap. Here's the the red arrow marks kind of Paul's second missionary journey going up. The highlight, it kind of shows the first leg, and and then he traveled from Athens uh, to Corinth, and uh, the geography matters, because Corinth was uh, kind of a, a newer city, Oh, there with a K, Corinthos, it's the red circle on the left, uh, but it's on that little isthmus right there. Um, maybe you can expand even, even more there. It's on that little isthmus, so it became a very important port. And so ships would enter on both sides and transfer cargo just across that little uh, three and a half mile isthmus from one ship to the other, save them having to go all the way around. So it was a rapidly growing city. Uh, it was a very wealthy city. A lot of retired soldiers were being sent there by Caesar because Caesar gave them land there. And so it quickly grew to be one of the most influential, wealthiest cities in the region in Paul's day. And so this would matter because the church, right, is in the world, and the world comes into the church because we come into the church, and we bring these issues with us. Well, Paul has to deal with those cultural issues that we're kind of trying to come into the church, and we're going to talk about through this series of series. So we're taking 1 Corinthians and breaking it down a little mini-series, right? So we have rhythms. That's going to take us through chapter 3. Then we'll look at sexual immorality in chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7. So that series will be love, sex, dating, and singleness or something like that, but uh, last week I called it juicy. It's going to be something else because there's a lot of interesting stuff talked about here in 1 Corinthians that, that really applies to our culture today. I don't know if you've recognized this or not. We're in a pretty sexually immoral, sex-crazed culture right now. Amen? 
And so there's a lot that Corinthians says to us here in the American church that we are gonna, we're going to unpack. So all of this kind of matters, right? All this matters. Well, today what we're looking at is Paul is building this church, going through a lot of some persecution, seeing triumph and victories. He's forming this church together. We're going to see the importance of core value number two here at Canaan. That is devoted fellowship. Devoted fellowship. And so here's the, the big thought of the day. If you have sermon notes, follow along either on the app or on the paper. The big thought is this, is that true gospel fellowship, it takes place, it really does happen as Jesus loves his people through his people, right? So one of the mysteries of the Christian faith, right, is when you place your faith and trust in Jesus because he did die in our place, he did rise again from the grave. When you trust in him, the Bible teaches very clearly that at that moment, you're born again, and Christ, the Spirit of Christ now lives where? In us. Within us, right? Like Paul says, you know, the, here's the mystery, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope of glory is because Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us, he wants to live through us so that we can live for him. So it's really awesome how that works. So the true fellowship of the church is loving one another, not in our own fleshly ability, but loving each other with the love that Christ has for us and in us and through us. That's the big thought of the day. And so we're going to see how that manifests itself as we unpack this. So let's look at number one in our notes. That the love is, this love that we have in fellowship means having those that you can count on. Here's the concept is partnership. In fact, partnership in the New Testament is really a good translation of the Greek word koinonia, which we often translate fellowship. Partnership is really good. So let's look at how Paul jives here and how this partnership benefits Paul. We see that he has partners to do ministry with. You can read through the book of Acts and study how Paul does things. Paul is never alone in his ministry. He never does ministry by himself. Never, not one time. On his first missionary journey, a little Bible trivia, his first missionary journey, who does he take with him? Go ahead and say it out loud. Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas, good job. You answered the question correctly. So Barnabas was on the first missionary journey. Second one, we see right here in, in verse 5 that Silas and Timothy come, right? Silas was Paul's partner on the second missionary journey. And then they meet Timothy, who's a, a, probably a teenager. And so Paul brings Timothy along. We're going to see Paul then brings Aquila and Priscilla along. Paul was great about partnership. Right, partnership is so critical as we do ministry together. Jesus knew this. In Mark chapter 6, it says Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out, what? Two by two. He didn't send any of the disciples out by themselves. Ministry needs partnership. And he gave them this authority over unclean spirits. So here, Paul never did anything alone. And that's huge. I remember when Tara and I, we first uh, got out of the armies is in the late 90s and we moved to Nashville to plant a church. I was the church planter, right? And we didn't, there was our first Bible study. We moved in May. We had our very first Bible study in June. We had eight people come to our first Bible study. Woo-hoo, right? And we were excited about that eight too, let me tell you. And um, so we just started going, you know. September came around. We decided to start meeting on Sundays. And our first Sunday morning gathering, we had 26 people. I still have that sheet of paper in my desk, right? Everybody signed their name, right? 26 people. Wow. I was the, but I was the only like staff person. That would go on for some time. 
You know, it was great on Sundays and when we gathered, but then it was during the week when I was doing the ministry and Tara was teaching school and I was just alone all the time. It was, it was just kind of lonely. <laughs> it was just hard, you know, being the Lone Rangers, it's no fun, you know, and I'm wired relationally. So that was really hard for me. It's just hard when you do ministry alone. That's because God didn't mean for it to be that way, right? We're to, that's the importance of fellowship is doing ministry together. Secondly, because when we have together, let it be, we have partners to celebrate with. I mean, look at some great things that happened here. So here's Paul going to the synagogue, and he's trying to reason with these Jewish people how Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah and trying to convince them to to receive Christ and trust in Christ. And, you know, some did, but some didn't. But then he finally, he's done. He's like, all right. They're to ridicule. He, he, he notices because they're reviling him and insulting him. And because he's not alone, it's a little easier to handle some of that stuff. But look what happens next. Crispus. So Paul and his, I wonder if he did this um, out of spite, but he gets, he gets kicked out of the synagogue. Where does he move to? Do you notice where he moved to? Next door, right? Keep, all right, fine, I'm going to be right next door. I'll show you, right? So he moves right next door to this guy's house named Justice. Well, then right after that, who gets saved? The leader of the synagogue that probably was part of reviling him and talking. All of a sudden, this guy becomes a believer, and not just him, but his entire family. They're convinced that by the Spirit of God that Jesus is the Son of God, and so they trust in him, surrender their life to him. And as we see, Crispus is no longer the leader of the synagogue because later it talks about Sosthenes, and he's the leader of the synagogue. So Crispus is fired But man, Crispus is saved. Now, how is that for a victory? The very leader of the group persecuting you all of a sudden gets saved and now is on your team. How awesome is that? You know, it's like Tampa Bay Buccaneers hating the Patriots and hating Tom Brady. All of a sudden, they get Tom Brady on the Buccaneers. Now they like Tom Brady, right? It's a bad example. But anyway, right, you understand where I'm going with this. Oh, Chris, that's a victory. Can you imagine... Can you imagine a celebration at the next gathering when the church gets together and, man, there's Crispus, and Crispus comes in, and I'm just, I'm I'm filling in the gaps of the story here, but I'm sure Crispus goes up to Paul and says, brother, I am so sorry we were so hard on you. Thank you. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for having the courage to tell us about Jesus. You have changed our whole lives. And don't you know, all the believers there were just praising the Lord because Crispus, just God, I mean, everybody knew who he was. He got saved. They were rejoicing. They were celebrating. Some of you, you get really good news. What do you do as soon as you, as soon as you get good news? You tell someone, right? Grandparents, what did you do when you found out that first grandchild was born? John, I'm keeping this a secret. I'm not showing this picture to nobody. <laughs> no, we don't do that, right? We want to tell everybody. It's great news. You know, ladies, when you got engaged, when the man put the rock on your finger, what'd you do? Did you wear a glove the rest of the, yeah. No, you show it off. You take pictures, Facebook, Snapchat. You let everybody know, right? Great news is meant to travel. 
That's what was going on. And when we, so we shared good news at the church family. Man, they rejoiced together. They celebrated. Paul talks about this elsewhere. Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Did you know God meant for you to never celebrate alone? It is holy for others to celebrate your birthday with you. Amen? So just turn, wives, turn to your husband and say, so celebrate my birthday next birthday. Yeah. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He says it like this in Romans 12, live in harmony with one another means the way one goes, we all go. We're, we, we move as a group, right? If there's rejoicing, man, we're all rejoicing. When there's heartache and hurt and sorrow, we, we hurt with each other because we're not alone. We celebrate with each other. First Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's what we do as family. Now you are the body of Christ. You, collectively, you are the body of Christ, members of it individually. So we get to be a part. Because of Jesus, all because of Jesus, and all for Jesus, we get to be a part of this whole body of Christ, right? And it's just a a glorious reality. So we have people to celebrate with. We also have those to suffer with. So it doesn't end for Paul. Things continue to go on. Christmas gets saved, a celebration but now this, this animosity of the Jews must have been increasing because it seems that Paul is very troubled, so much so that the Lord comes to him in a vision. And he says, um, don't be afraid, which implies Paul was afraid. We think the picture of Paul is Paul was fearless, you know. No, he was scared. He just, the spirit just gave him courage and boldness, but he was still afraid and he's, he's fearful. And so God comes to him in a vision and says, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. And look at what God tells him. This is Amazing. He says, go on. You keep going on speaking and don't be silent. Why? For I am with you. And no one will attack you and harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Let me insert something here. Many who are in this city who are my people, but they just don't know it yet. Right? Meaning... It's what, it's what God means here to Paul is you keep on speaking because there are, there are those who are mine, they just haven't heard the gospel yet. They're going to hear the gospel when you say it, and they're going to get saved. People will be saved because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Amen? Romans 1.16, Paul reflects on this later. He writes this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone. Just say everyone. Everyone who believes. The Jew first, for, then also for the Greek. So, Paul was afraid, and here, he had the church with him. He wasn't by himself. Don't you know when you're afraid, or you're a little scared, or maybe you're nervous, or maybe you have some anxiety, it's good to have people who love you, with you, and around you, to walk with you through that. I mean, we, we all love that. We all, when we're moments we're afraid, we go to somebody, right? Not only are, like our kids, thunderstorm, right? What happens in a th- bad thunderstorm for little kids? And... Big kids too sometimes. <laughs> they think I'm running in your bedroom, right? Why? They want to be with you because they're afraid. And we got this big old dog, big Bernadoodle. He's the goofiest, kind of dumb, but anyway, he's, 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 a, he's a dog, he's my buddy. But he comes in, he never comes to our bedroom because he slides on the floor. It's pretty funny. But when it thunderstorms, he is right there. He's crawling into our bedroom because he wants to be in our bed because he's afraid and he wants to be 
with someone. That's the way we're made. We're afraid. We're suffering. We need each other. God made us that way, right? That's why when one member suffers, we all suffer. That's why when there's funerals and there's wakes, it's good for us to go visit and just just be there with our church family and love them and just encourage them. So good to have each other. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? This is Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. As we bear each other's burdens, that is Jesus loving each other through us. I will never forget, almost two years ago now, my dad died. And uh, he died, he was almost 90. He was 89, too much shy of being 90. Yeah. He passed away and the funeral was down in Nashville. And some of you guys drove down there. Now, I will just never understand. I, I wouldn't have expected anyone to. So I'm not like, don't feel guilty because you didn't. That's not the point. But some of you did. And I will never forget that. Loving me, Jesus loving me through you, loving my family through you, or just being there. A time of hurt and loss. So thank you. So valuable. That's loving one another. Jesus himself says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. So that all goes with partnership. His partnership in the gospel. Number two, the love and fellowship means having those who encourage you in a Godward direction. And we call that discipleship. We all need encouragement. We need it. Some of us crave it. Some of you think you don't really need it, but we really do. We all need encouragement of some kind. First, there's encouragement to stay focused. So Paul has this hard time. God refocuses him. I'm sure that he tells other of the believers about it. He had to because Luke writes this. Luke had to find out about this vision somehow. So we know Paul told somebody. So Paul's sharing this and about this vision. And I'm sure there's others encouraging Paul. Hey, don't be afraid. God said, don't be afraid. Stay focused. I mean, some of us have ADD, right? Some of us are, um, you know, we, we, we get distracted easily, especially these days. The average attention span is like 15 minutes or less nowadays. It's rapidly decreasing. And so we need help staying focused. Well, that's part of what fellowship is about. That's why the author of Hebrews said this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So notice what the author is saying here. Say, look, we need to help each other focus. We need to stir up love and good works. So that doesn't really come naturally. That's supernatural. And so we need to stir each other up. We need to encourage each other daily, especially when we get together. So don't neglect meeting together, because if you neglect meeting together, you will miss out on the encouragement you need to stay focused. That's why Sundays are so important. That's why this right here is so important. That's why meeting with your connection groups is so important. It keeps us focused. It's going to be honest with you. As we were beginning to enter into covid There was a lot of prayer going on because there's that temptation to disconnect from the body, to lose focus. You look around, there's there's still some people that aren't back. Some are faithful and they're still watching because their concerns health issues, but there's some that just disconnected because they weren't meeting together 
They weren't being stirred up to love and good works. They weren't being encouraged to stay focused. And so our focus drifts. We have drifting focus, part of our fallen nature. So it needs to be stirred. It needs to be harnessed and focused. Secondly, encouragement to persevere. Well, things continue to get tough for Paul. So they they bring him into this Gallio's presence. Gallio was to Paul in Corinth, kind of what Pontius Pilate was to Jesus in Judea, right? So he's a a Roman proconsul, kind of like the governor. And so they bring Paul to Gallio, the Jews did, because the Jews wanted Paul arrested. He really wanted him silenced. He was preaching contrary to Jewish law. He actually wasn't. He was preaching the fulfillment of Jewish law, which is Jesus. But they didn't like that. But Galileo was like, I'm not Jewish. I don't care about these things. Y'all deal with him. But there was all that struggle. It was persecution. And so how did Paul continue to persevere in all these ways? I mean, later we'll see in Corinthians that Paul, at some point, he's stoned. He's beaten numerous times. He's imprisoned. He's almost thrown off a cliff. I mean, he's shipwrecked. And Paul has a pretty exciting life, Right? How did he persevere through that? How did he keep going? He was encouraged. He had believers around him encouraging him. He had the Holy Spirit within him encouraging him to keep on keeping on. Where at the end of his life, he says this, I have fought the good fight. Notice he didn't say, man, I've lived a great life. He didn't say that. I mean, he did, but that's not what he said. It was a fight. His life was a battle, right? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. We think of a race. We think of a marathon. Do we think of relaxing and easy? Just ask, how many of you have run a half marathon or a full marathon? Raise your hand. All right. I'm super impressed with you guys. This is borderline, I think you're crazy, but I really respect you too, right? Because that is so hard. I mean, if you've ever tried to run at all, it's just, it is a mind battle. It's mental, right? Yeah, there's a lot of physical stuff too, but it is, it is a mental battle just to keep putting one foot in front of the other, right? Amazing. This is how Paul described his life. I fought the fight. I finished the race. For those of you that ran, how did you feel when you crossed the finish line? Other than I've got to throw up and all that fun stuff, right? <laughs> Were you like, finally I finished? Weren't you excited about finishing and proud that you finished? Yeah, absolutely. Paul, I finished the race. And those, I have kept the faith. He persevered. Now, how was he able to do that? Because of the supernatural power of God and because of the encouragement of other believers. And here, this encouragement, as Paul says, is to live by faith. So live by faith and see what happens, right? Well, let's just kind of here, kind of going to end in Acts and then go to 1 Corinthians and finish up real quick. But Paul's brought in front of this, this tribunal, and he's about to speak. In Paul's mind, it's up to him to defend himself. He's about to speak, but then Gallio interrupts. God just kind of takes over. Paul never has to speak for himself here. It's pretty interesting. And so if we fast forward now, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. And Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth. 
He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And so he goes on and he talks about, and in verse eight, he says, I'm sorry, verse nine, God is faithful. So he's talking, he's, he's bragging on the church. And we'll unpack this a little bit later. But he talked about God is faithful. Courage to live by faith. Says your testimony, you continue to live your testimony out over and over. Even though you're persecuted, you stayed faithful. That's your testimony. That's your story. So he's bragging on it. They needed encouragement to do that. So many of the letters of the New Testament are letters of encouragement to church people who are struggling because they're being persecuted. First Peter, Second Peter, Hebrews, Jude, James, even some of Paul's letters, Romans. They're encouragements to churches that are being persecuted. It's all encouragement. You need that to continue to live by faith because we're always tempted to live by sight. Especially here in Missouri. What do they call this state? The what state? The show me state. I'm just going to be honest. That's a horrible name when it comes to Christianity. We need to live by faith, not by sight, right? Now, I get it. You know, we deal with people, show me, prove it. Okay. But when it comes to our faith in God, if we wait for God to show us, well, Jesus says a wicked generation demands a sign, right? We live by faith, not by sight. So that's what Paul tells us, and he lives that out. And then as we wrap this up, the love and fellowship means having those who serve you in times of need and lack. And this is ministry. This is ministry. First, we serve each other through our leveraging our gifts. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. So Paul's acknowledging the gifts. We're going to do a whole series on that later on as we get 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Um, the gifts of the Spirit. But here, Paul recognizes their giftedness. But the purpose of gifts, the purpose of your talents, the purpose of things you're good at, whether it's the spiritual gifts, natural talents, there's a lot of you good at a lot of things. All of you are good at something, right? Well, why? Why did God give someone like Justin an amazing voice? And then give to some, can't carry a tune in a bucket, right? Why do you do that, Right? Why did, why did God give some of you incredible skills with your hands? You can build anything. And then there's people like me. <laughs> nope. Right? Why is that? Well, it's this purpose of serving and leveraging that for the goodness of the, for the glory of God and for the sake of the body. Look at what Peter says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Your gift is not about you. In fact, this whole thing is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the body of Christ. So I know it's cheesy. We do it from time to time. But just turn to your neighbor and just remind them, it's not about you. Right? It's not about you. I know at our church in, in Tennessee, we had this, um, this guy start playing the guitar, and he was really good. And uh, he was leveraging his gift for the glory of God. He just got saved. He had been a... Rock and roll dude, you know, he played with some names y'all all have heard of, right? I mean, he's really good. 
he got saved. So he started wanting to play for God. So, of course, we put him on stage. He was awesome. But, you know, we had a few folks in the church, and I, I don't like that guitar, you know, and all that. And, and finally, just had to, we had a lot of conversation. Finally, he said, look, it's just not about you. It sounded harsh. I didn't mean it harsh, but it's, it's, not about, it's not about our preferences. It's not about what we like and don't like. It's about the glory of God. There was a young guy who got radically saved, and he wanted to leverage his gifts for God instead of, you know, lust and drugs and, well, for devil, for the devil, right? It was a total transformation. It's all about, it was all about God. That's just, that's what Peter is saying here. What you have received is gift. Steward it, manage it, leverage it for the glory of God as a good steward of God's varied grace. Secondly, we serve each other through our time. Look at Priscilla and Aquila, how they travel with Paul. I kind of want you to notice something else. Kind of we're almost done, but if you go back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Who is writing this letter with Paul? You see that? Look at verse 1. Who is it? Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother who? Sosthenes. Do you remember his name from Acts 18? Who was that guy? He was the guy that replaced Crispus as the head of the synagogue. He's the one that got beat up. Well, somewhere in there, Sosthenes gets saved. And he's going to leverage his time now with Paul. He travels with Paul and ends up helping him write 1 Corinthians. How awesome is that? We give our time to each other. And then lastly, we serve each other through sacrifice. We see that with Sosthenes. Now, we don't, there's, there's mystery here. It says they, the ominous they, right? Go back to Acts 18. Verse 17, they all see Sosthenes. Who's the they here? I mean, Sosthenes, the Jewish leader of the Jewish synagogue, it seems like the they refers to the Jewish people. So why would the Jewish people beat up their Jewish synagogue leader? Not sure. It's just mystery. Here's the bottom line. Paul was the one that was supposed to get beaten up, but it ends up being Sosthenes that gets beat up. Picture of the gospel. Sosthenes takes what Paul was going to get. Just like Jesus takes for us what we were going to get. And maybe Sosthenes already become a believer. We're not sure. There's mystery in all the, the timeline of all this. But Sosthenes sacrificed for Paul. We sacrifice for each other. Sacrifice our time. Sometimes our resources. It was great. Just like last week, one of our local um, language pastors, pastor of a uh, Congolese church family here in St. Louis, part of our Baptist family, and we've done a lot. To, a lot of you have done a lot to help them. Um, ministry with minister with them. The pastor Freddie's been here many times. Well, his wife had to have an emergency surgery that cost several thousands of dollars, which Pastor Freddie didn't have. And so we, hey Freddie, we'll, we'll we'll pray and we'll see what the body of Christ does. So there was a Facebook Live that Pastor Martin did with Darren Casper, local director of mission of St. Louis. Posted, hey, just tell, tell the church of area the need. Within 30 minutes, it was all taken care of. Every penny. Isn't that not awesome? That's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Pastor Mario, we got Pastor Mario coming to plant Fairmont here in just a couple more weeks. 
We put the need of, hey, we got a pastor coming from Mexico. He's moving here from Mexico. We've been partners with him for years down in Mexico with church planting. And now he's been called by God to come here and plant a church in Fairmont. And, you know, Pastor Martin's kind of taking the lead organizing this. We've had several other churches. I think it's like six other churches, three associations called and say, hey, we want to be a part of that. They sent money and time and resources to help Pastor Mario plant this church in Fairmont, where our own Rachel Taylor, which has already been there for years, ministering to the ladies, the pregnant ladies, and mamas to be there. I mean, it's just awesome to see the partnership, the body of Christ work together. But it involves some sacrifice. Because here's the deal. It really isn't about us. Our time is not our own. Sometimes we buy into the myth that our money is our own. It's all, it's all God's, isn't it? It's all his. It's all for his glory. It's all for his mission. It's all about this great news that Jesus came out of that grave alive. And he gives us that victory. It's about getting that news out. Because don't you know that all over this planet, there are literally billions of people who face that question every day. I'm not going to make it. It's going to happen. Well, we know what happens because God has revealed it to us in his word. And we got to get that message out. And there's maybe some of you here right now, today, this morning, here watching online, and you're kind of wrestling that. You know, I'm going to die, I know. And what's going to happen to me? Well, the Bible is clear that those who have trusted in Jesus Christ live with him forever. But those who don't spend an eternity separated from him in a very real place called hell. These aren't, no matter, if you look at scriptures, take scripture at face value, which we do, there's no way it's allegory. There's no way it's symbology. It's literal. It's real. That's just the reality of it. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus? Have you heard that incredible news? And as a result, gave your life to him and become part of this incredible fellowship called the church. I'm asking you to stand with me. We're going to pray together. The rhythm of today is love. Love one another. Love God. Love each other. It's the great two commandments Jesus gives us. Are you doing those two things? Are you loving him? Well, you love him by believing in him, trusting in him, placing your faith and trust in him. If you've never done that, today is a great day to do that. Remember, prayer counselors, if you're a prayer, I'm a prayer counselor, I'm actually going to go ahead and come on down. Our prayer counselors would love to pray with you, pray for you, just listen to you as you pray and agree with you, encourage you. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, you know that is your next step. Then they're not going to they're going to be super helpful for you. They're going to encourage you. So it'll be an honor them to walk through that with you. So if you'll come and just pray with one of them and talk with one of them, they'd love to walk you through how to meet Jesus and begin eternity with him. Others of you, not just loving God, but loving each other. Maybe, you know, you just want to come to, to the altar, or come and just pray a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you. And you've put this person or that person, this family in my life, they have really loved me. You have loved me through them. I just want to say thank you. 
That's a great thing to do is come and pray and thank God for that. Or maybe you need encouragement. Our team would love to pray prayers of encouragement over you. We all need it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Be encouraged. God is here. The creator of everything we know and see and way beyond what we know and see. He has chosen to be here with us this morning. Respond to that. Let him minister to you through his people. Church, let's pray. Father, we give this time to you. Lord, we just pray that in this next few moments you would minister to us. God, if there's someone here who has never truly surrendered their life to you and trusted in you and been born again and hearing the good news of the gospel, I pray that, God, that would happen this morning. And God, that they would be kind of just in a mode of asking, answering, asking themselves this question. God, what is, what is it that's keeping me from following you? Lord, I just pray you would illuminate what that is to remove any kind of hindrance in the way of us trusting in you. Lord, I pray that that happens. I pray that happens for someone watching online. God, if there's just something seems like uh, they don't have answered yet, that God, you would deliver them, not just the answer, but you would help them experience your incredible love and presence. God, I pray for those here who believe in you and have trusted in you, but God, they, they're not a part of a local body of Christ. And so God, I pray for those that, that they would take that next step of being devoted to fellowship by joining this church family and expressing that as their next step. God, we have some here who just may be really frustrated, really discouraged with life, with work, with family. God, with something. And I pray that you would just give them the courage to just come down and let our prayer counselors pray prayers of encouragement over them. Because God, you love them. And Lord, I know in life, it's the old saying is usually true. It's never truly as bad as it seems. God, just minister to your people, through your people, the power of your Holy Spirit, for your glory's sake, as we sing in Christ's name.